everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Timothy Jones Jr. So Happy New Year, everyone. First of all, I hope you all enjoyed the holidays. I hope you all had a good rest. So today, the case that I have to start off 2023 is not a nice one at all. I mean, when are they ever nice? But this one in particular is not nice at all. So Timothy Jones Jr. was a father to five young children. And the ages of these children were from one to eight years old. And these children, they were so sweet. They were so innocent. I mean, of course they are. But there was one problem. Timothy was a terrible dad. He was controlling, he was manipulative, he was abusive, and he literally did not care about the well-being of anyone else whatsoever apart from himself. And unfortunately, Timothy's controlling and abusive behavior led to an absolute terrible tragedy. And I do need to give a warning for today's case. We are going to be talking about domestic abuse, child abuse, and unfortunately, very tragically, child murder. But this case isn't really widely covered and there were definitely a lot of failures in the system that could have possibly prevented this awful tragedy. So I thought that this was an important one to talk about and I wanted to bring it to you guys today. I always try and cover lesser known cases when I can. So let's dive in. Timothy Jones Jr. was born in 1982. I couldn't find an exact birthday for him and it is believed that he grew up in Mississippi before later moving to Lexington, South Carolina, where today's case takes place. Now, Timothy had a very troubled childhood. And I say that a lot, but I truly mean it for Timothy. And there is also a very complicated family history that I am going to go through, but it is very complicated. I've tried to make it as simple as possible, but there are going to be a lot of characters. So bear with me. But there were three key people in the upbringing of Timothy. That's Timothy's dad, mom, and his grandmother. All three of them also had a very troubled childhood. So we'll start with the grandmother, whose name was Roberta. Now, from a very young age, Roberta suffered from very traumatic sexual abuse. And this was all at the hands of her own stepfather. Her stepfather repeatedly raped her. And from being raped at the age of 12, Roberta fell pregnant. You heard that right. She fell pregnant with her stepfather's child. This child would go on to be Timothy's dad, but it's it's going to be really confusing because Timothy's dad's name is also Timothy. So confusing when that happens. So then after Timothy Jones Sr. was born, Roberta was forced into marrying her stepfather. I know, like, what? Really? It's like horrifying. What the actual hell? But thankfully, at the age of 17, Roberta managed to get away from the clutches of her abusive stepfather. So that was the grandmother's background, Roberta. So now let's move on to Timothy's dad, Timothy Sr. So obviously, Timothy Sr. was born out of the result of his mom, Roberta, being raped by her stepdad. And obviously, Roberta's stepdad is Timothy Sr.'s actual biological dad. But Timothy Sr. was forced to live 
with that abusive man for the first five years of his life before his mom managed to escape at age 17. But even after Roberta escaped, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing for the family because Roberta would drink heavily. She was also prone to violent outbursts and Timothy Sr witnessed his mom Roberta being physically abusive to her new husband. So that whole situation is obviously very traumatic, very chaotic. So now let's move on to Timothy Jr.'s mom, Cynthia, because Cynthia also had a very troubled upbringing. Her childhood was full of abuse and she was molested by her own father. And obviously this is going to have a lasting impact on anyone and it did have a lasting impact on Cynthia. She had a lot of issues because of this. And then when Cynthia was aged 16, she met Timothy Sr. They both dropped out of school, got married. Cynthia soon fell pregnant and then she gave birth to Timothy Jr. who this video is all about. So yes, complicated family background and that is a very simplified version because there was so much more detail, but it was already confusing enough. But if I just break it down for you. So the grandmother, Roberta, was raped repeatedly by her stepdad, who she was then forced to marry. Out of those rapes was born Timothy Sr. He obviously had a very abusive childhood as well. He witnessed a lot of abuse. Then we've got Cynthia, who also was abused as a child, sexually and physically. And then Timothy Jr. is born out of all of that chaos. And unfortunately, as we quite often see in these cases, the cycle of abuse doesn't end there because of course it goes on to affect Timothy Jr.'s life. Okay, so we're now gonna get on to Timothy Jr.'s childhood. Almost immediately after he was born, it was troubled because this all started with his mom, Cynthia, and her behavior towards Timothy. Now her behavior was very, very strange. If Timothy was ever upset crying as a baby, Cynthia would just let him cry, let him scream. She also wouldn't let anybody else comfort him either. And in order to stop Timothy from crying as a baby, she would give him ice cold baths. But that's not all. There was a lot of other troubling behavior as well because there was this one thing where Cynthia was really worried about having a quote, fat baby. So she would feed Timothy laxatives as a baby, which, what? I have never heard of that before, but force feeding a baby laxative, that has got to be dangerous. I obviously don't know what kind of effect that could have on a baby, but surely that is not good. And her erratic behavior wasn't just towards Timothy either. It was just day to day. Like her behavior was just erratic. She was prone to violent outbursts, just very extreme mood swings. She would also destroy things around the home. She would quite often just get a knife and start cutting things up. And then one day, Cynthia took baby Timothy and just disappeared. She just got up and left with the baby and she went missing for months. Now, Timothy's dad, Timothy Sr., did manage to track down Cynthia and the baby. And eventually, because of this situation, Timothy Sr. did win custody of Timothy Jr. And then following this incident, Cynthia was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia and she was placed in an institution for treatment and she was held indefinitely. And she was held for a very long time. It would actually be two decades before Timothy Jr. 
would ever see his mom again. And Timothy Jr. was only two and a half years old when his mom went to the institution. So for the majority of Timothy Jr.'s life, he is brought up and raised by his dad, Timothy Sr. So like I said, very chaotic. The whole family is very chaotic. All of them come from a very distressing, troubling background. Timothy Jr. went through some absolutely horrific things and he was so incredibly young. He was basically neglected. His mom was feeding him laxatives and he was given ice cold baths. So Timothy Sr. now has full custody. So Timothy Jr., Timothy Sr. are both now living with the grandmother, Roberta. And unfortunately, things don't really get much better from here. Timothy's dad would go on to remarry and Timothy's grandmother would also remarry. The thing is, they're all abusive, all of them. Timothy witnessed his own dad being abusive to his new wife and Timothy also witnessed his grandmother being abusive to her new husband. Everywhere that Timothy goes, there is abuse, there is dysfunction. So not only was Timothy witnessing a lot of domestic abuse, he was also witnessing a lot of substance abuse as well. And substance abuse became normal to him. It was completely normalized in that household. And when Timothy entered his teenage years, he started experimenting and abusing substances himself. And then when Timothy was 15 years old, a very significant event happened that would impact him for the rest of his life because he got into a very severe accident. And this was a car accident. He was in the car with his cousin who was driving under the influence and the car somehow ended up going off the road and hitting a tree. Now, following this accident, Timothy was in the hospital for two days and it was found as a result from this car accident, Timothy suffered a traumatic brain injury. We have another head injury. They are very common and we've done quite a few head injuries recently, like Harvey Gutman had a head injury, didn't he? Arthur Hutchinson, which was the podcast episode, he had a head injury. And now we're seeing it in today's case. And just like those other two cases, after Timothy had this head injury, everything changed. His whole personality just changed. Following the accident, Timothy was now suffering with depression paranoia. He was hearing voices and having hallucinations. But not only that, he was already abusing drugs and alcohol, but after the accident, his drug and alcohol consumption got even worse. And then there were two more significant things that happened in Timothy's childhood. The first was that he joined the Navy. This was something that he had always dreamed of, and he was actually looking forward to the physical discipline. But his time in the Navy was very short-lived because he got discharged after only six weeks after being caught with drugs. And then the other significant incident is that when Timothy was 19 years old, he went to prison. Now this had happened because after the Navy, he kind of fell into a life of crime and he had stolen a few cars and forged some checks. Now inside the prison, it was weird. He was sent to, I don't know if it was a special prison or something like that. Maybe it was because he was 19 years old. I really don't know. But a part of his prison sentence, he was forced to undergo a very strict boot camp. And this boot camp included severe, extreme physical exercise. And take note of this because this plays a very important role in today's case. So again, even in his teenage years, we're seeing a lot of dysfunction, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, brutal boot camp prison regimes. And unfortunately, all of this, especially the prison boot camp, would definitely shape Timothy's character 
going forward. So it's now 2003. Timothy is currently 21 years old, which I cannot get over how young he is. And he has gone through so much. So he's currently just got out of prison. And he thinks, right, it's finally time to turn my life around. And this is when Timothy finds religion. He joins a Pentecostal church that has Christian fundamentalist beliefs. He also goes on to college. He gets a degree in computer engineering. He finds himself a good job that pays pretty well. And he also meets his future wife, Amber. Now, Timothy and Amber hit it off straight away. And within weeks, weeks of meeting, Timothy has already proposed to Amber. Now, it's said that Timothy's family were strongly against this proposal because they were so young and they had only just met. They had only known each other, what, a maximum three weeks at this point and they were already engaged. It's like marriage is not something that you should just rush into, you know? But Timothy's family also accused Timothy of only proposing to Amber because his church his beliefs didn't believe in sex before marriage. So they thought Timothy was only marrying Amber so he could have sex with her. But Timothy didn't care about what his family thought. He ignored their wishes. And within six weeks of meeting, Timothy and Amber were married. It's like, I don't like to criticize anybody's relationship. Everyone's relationship is on a different path. But six weeks and you're already married? That, that's too fast. It's too fast, isn't it? The couple quickly go on to have three children together. Timothy finds a new job. It's actually a very well-paid job, this next job. He finds a job at the tech giant Intel, and he's on an $80,000 a year salary. And this is where the whole family move from Mississippi to Lexington in South Carolina, and the family move into a trailer. And at first, everything seemed great. Everything seemed to be going great for Amber. Timothy was a good father. He was a good husband. He had a good job. He provided for the family. But then everything began to change. And this was all because of the strict religious code that Timothy lived by. And he started to impose these strict rules on Amber. He told her that she needed to be a subservient wife. She was no longer allowed to wear makeup. She wasn't allowed to cut her hair. She wasn't even allowed to wear trousers. She was expected to stay at home, quit her job. She wasn't allowed to have a job. She was expected to clean the house, basically be a housewife and give birth to kids. That is all she was good for, taking care of the home and giving birth to children. And she also needed to stop spending so much time with friends and family. She basically had to give up any life or identity that she had before Timothy. She was expected to do everything that her husband wanted and needed. Meanwhile, Timothy could do whatever he wanted. He didn't follow any of these rules himself. And if Amber ever stepped out of line, Timothy would be physically violent towards her. So now Timothy has become an abuser himself. And unfortunately, things don't get better. They actually get worse. So we now get to 2011. Timothy is almost 30 years old and the three children are getting a little bit older now. And this is when Timothy is reported for the first time to the Department of Social Services, which is something that would be reoccurring a lot from this moment on. Timothy was first reported to the DSS for very violent and volatile behavior towards his neighbors. And in one instance, which is probably the incident that got him reported, he got into an argument with one of his neighbors and it got that heated that Timothy threatened to shoot his neighbor's dog. So Timothy was reported and the DSS 
came out and they didn't find any signs or any evidence of physical abuse towards the children at this point. However, they did notice that the home was a mess. It was absolutely filthy. It was disgusting. The toilet didn't work. The vents on the trailer were completely blocked with dirt. There was just rubbish all over the floor and there were cockroaches. But it wasn't just filthy because dangerous tools were also left out in the reach of the children. Also, the children's clothes were dirty. The children were dirty. The DSS took one look around and said, this needs to change. So the DSS made a report, they reported everything, and they stated in the report, quote, the children were suffering from maltreatment and neglect that presented a substantial risk of physical injury. And because of this report, the family were set up with a so-called safety plan. But unfortunately, this so-called safety plan was never followed up on. Things at the home just continued on the way they were, and they slowly got worse. So it's around 2012 now, and Amber has had two more children. And throughout the years, even more reports were made to the DSS. Every time someone from the DSS came out, evaluated the situation, said that things needed to change, set up a so-called safety plan, and then that was it. Safety plan was never followed up on. No one ever went back out to the house as a follow-up, nothing. Most of the reports actually were related to Amber and the domestic violence towards Amber, not the children. And a lot of the time, it was actually Amber that was reporting Timothy to the DSS. One report said that Timothy had threatened to break Amber's neck in front of the children. There were reports that Timothy would regularly spit on her. There was even one report that Timothy had headbutted Amber so hard, she completely blacked out. And all of this that I have just said happened in front of the children. Another time, Timothy threatened to kill Amber, chop her up and feed her to the pigs. And even though the reports were saying that there is no physical abuse towards the children, right now, this is emotional abuse. And then there was one more incident that was truly terrifying and Amber thought that she and her children were going to die. So this all started when the family were out shopping and whilst they were out shopping, Timothy and Amber had started arguing. And this argument followed them in the car on the way home. So they're driving home, they're driving very, very fast. And Timothy turns to Amber and says, do you want to play chicken? On the other side of the road, Timothy sees a huge 18-wheeler truck. So Timothy, seeing this 18-wheeler approaching, swerves the car onto the other side of the road, making sure that only the passenger side of the car is on the other side of the road. And the passenger side of the car is directly lined up with the 18-wheeler. I also want to point out that the children are in the back of the car. And by the children, everyone is screaming, apart from Timothy, obviously he's having the time of his life right now. Amber is yelling at Timothy to stop, to get on the right side of the road. And Timothy, the whole time, is just laughing. He's driving faster and faster towards this 18-wheeler truck. And then at the very last second, Timothy swerves back onto the right side of the road. They were literally seconds from a severe accident that would have killed everyone in the car. How can you do that to your wife and five children? How, how can you do that? Timothy every day is becoming more violent, more volatile. And even though even more reports have been made to the DSS, every time they come out, they just make this safety plan and then nothing is ever done. So we now get to the summer of 2012 and Amber at this point had just had enough. After years of being abused, after being isolated from 
from everyone, manipulated, forced to give up her life, her identity. Amber started a relationship with a neighbor. Now it didn't take long, of course, for Timothy to find out about this. After he did, he was furious because obviously he expected Amber to be this subservient wife. And unsurprisingly, Timothy reacted in a very extreme way. He just gathered up all his belongings, packed up his bags and left and took all five children with him. He traveled back to Mississippi to live closer to family and he left Amber behind in South Carolina. Timothy then blocked Amber having access with the children at all. Timothy ended up filing for divorce and asking for custody of all five children. Now, when Timothy was asked the reason for the divorce, he said that Amber was having an affair and, quote, kept a sloppy home. He also said that Amber had poor lifestyle choices. This man has some nerve, doesn't he? Amber did try to fight the case, but because she didn't have a job, remember this was all because of Timothy that she didn't have a job. She didn't have any money to hire an attorney. She also didn't have any connections with friends and family. She had cut off ties completely to her old life because of Timothy. She had no way, at least she felt like she had no way to fight this. There was also a part of her though that did think that Timothy would be a good dad. He would look after the children and maybe the children would be better off with him because he had a job. He had a very well-paying job. And she thought, well, I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I can't provide for the children. So maybe they would be better off with Timothy, which obviously that is not the case, but that all comes down to the fact that she has been abused and manipulated for all of those years. And eventually in late 2013, Timothy won the case and he won custody of all five children. Amber was allowed visitation every other weekend and on a few holidays. But unfortunately, this decision would be a huge turning point in this case because everything from this moment on is a huge downward spiral. And from Timothy getting custody of all five children, that directly leads to the tragic events of today's case. So at some point after getting custody of the five children, Timothy and the five children do move back to the trailer in Lexington, South Carolina. Obviously, Amber is not there right now. And he was now raising all five children alone without Amber. So the five children were Mera, aged eight, Elias, aged seven, Natan, aged six, Gabriel, aged two, and Elaine aged one. Timothy was now sending his children to school because prior to this, they were homeschooled. Timothy actually made Amber homeschool the children, even though she had no qualifications and she didn't feel comfortable with homeschooling the children. But obviously, Amber is not around anymore, so he's having to send the children to school. He's also using babysitters to care for the children. I think he soon realized how much work Amber was actually doing. And unfortunately, this is when Timothy's terrible behavior started to escalate as well. His drug and alcohol use really, really increased at this time. He was becoming more and more volatile and he had also become physically abusive to the children. This all started because Timothy had started to enforce stricter methods of punishment and control. Now, previously, all of this was focused on Amber. He was physically abusing Amber, controlling Amber, enforcing these very strict rules on Amber. And it was all on Amber. The children as far as I'm aware anyway, never actually suffered at the hands of Timothy. But now Amber's gone. So he no longer has Amber to take out his frustrations on. So now he's turned his frustrations onto his children. If the children ever did anything wrong or what Timothy deemed as doing something wrong, they were forced to do extreme 
forms of exercise. And that is why I said earlier on in the case that that strict boot camp regimen, that exercise was very important to today's case. And this is why. He would force the children to do push-ups, squats, extreme forms of exercise for children. He would also make the children stand on their tiptoes for hours. And he would make the children do hundreds of squats, hundreds of push-ups. And this is extreme for anyone, but for children. And I did just read out their ages, but the eldest child is only eight years old. And if Timothy wasn't satisfied that the children had learned their lesson from the extreme exercise, he would resort to physical violence. There were times when Timothy would drag the children around the house. He would whip them repeatedly with belts. He would choke the children. He would also throw them up against the wall. Food was also being withheld from the children as well. The children were barely being fed. They were lucky if they got one meal a day. And when they were fed, they were fed oatmeal. That was the only thing in the house ever. On other occasions, Timothy would bring home a McDonald's but he would bring home one chicken nugget meal for all five children to share between themselves. So things have really escalated here. This is extreme child abuse and neglect. And all of this was being noticed by other people. Timothy wasn't hiding any of this. He didn't care if the children had bruises on them. He didn't care who saw. The children would arrive at school with bruises on their face, necks, arms. And the teachers would ask the children, how did you get these bruises? And the children would openly say that their dad did it. The teachers, of course, reported Timothy to the DSS with one report from a teacher saying that they found a hand-sized bruise on one of the children. But tragically, this report was never followed up on. What's new? Every report that was made was either never followed up on or someone from the DSS would go out, they would make a report, and then that wouldn't get followed up on. But it wasn't just the teachers that were noticing the abuse. The babysitters were too. One time, the family went to Disneyland and I was actually shocked when I read that. I was like, what? They actually went to Disneyland? Because that does not sound like Timothy. And on the way to Disneyland, the children were getting a little bit restless in the car and Timothy was annoyed at this. So he pulled over and made the children do squats on the side of the road. And then when they arrived at the hotel, the babysitter witnessed Timothy spanking his children. The babysitter was absolutely traumatized by this because she had never actually witnessed this herself before. The babysitter as well would feed the children in secret. The children would say to the babysitter, please don't tell my dad that you fed me because if he's found out that you fed me, he won't give us any more food. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And of course, the babysitter never told their dad that she had fed them. And the babysitter approached Timothy a number of times about the food, about how he would discipline the children, but every time Timothy would just fly off the handle and say, these are my kids, I discipline them how I want to. Of course, the babysitter did report Timothy to the DSS multiple times, and again, nothing was ever done. There was one time where someone from the DSS actually bothered to go out because most of the time they never did, and a caseworker saw with their own eyes bruises on the children. But once again, the case was closed and nothing was done. And I'm sorry, are you being serious? Right now, a caseworker went out and visibly saw with their own eyes bruises on the children and nothing gets done. Abuse can sometimes be hidden very well, but when it's staring you in the face, why are you not doing anything? There were so many opportunities for the Department of Social Services to step in 
Literally everyone is telling them Timothy is not a good person. Amber was telling them ages ago. We now have teachers phoning. We now have babysitters phoning. These children needed immediate intervention. They needed to be removed from that home. And I just want to point out here that the DSS were contacted a total number of 12 times. 12 separate times, which means that there were 12 opportunities for something to be done here. But every time, nothing was ever done. And from my research, I actually don't know what happened to Amber at this point. Like I couldn't find out anything. All I know is that Timothy was trying his hardest to prevent Amber from ever seeing the children. So we now get to August of 2014 and we are literally just weeks away from the tragic events of today's case. Another call is made to the DSS. This call reported that there was physical abuse towards the children in Timothy's home. Once again, a caseworker went out to the home and they saw that one of the children had a cut above their eye. And when Timothy was asked about how the child had received this cut, Timothy replied that the child had got it, quote, banging it on a doorknob. He also told the caseworker that he was only being reported by the babysitter because the babysitter was angry that he had just fired her. During the visit, the DSS caseworker also noted down that the children were starving. Let that sink in. The caseworker said that the children were starving. They also documented that the children had bruises on them from beatings. It was also reported that Timothy no longer wanted to send his children to a public school. Unbelievably, Timothy openly says to the DSS caseworker that he does not want to send his kids to school because the teachers keep reporting him to the DSS. How much of a bigger red flag do you need? It's so incredibly frustrating because this caseworker has literally wrote down that the children are starving, that they're being beaten, that they have bruises cut above their eye. And the conclusion of the report from the DSS caseworker said, quote, dad appears to be overwhelmed as he is unable to maintain the home, but the children appear to be clean, groomed, and appropriately dressed. I'm sorry, what? And again, no further action was taken. I just get so angry. It's like, what the actual hell? And very tragically, just days after the last visit from that DSS caseworker, that is when the tragic events of today's case take place. On the 28th of August, 2014, Timothy found his six-year-old son, Natan, playing with an electrical socket. Now, I should point out at this time, that all children had expressed that they didn't want to live with their dad anymore. All of the children had expressed that they wanted to live with their mom. Timothy was absolutely outraged by this. How dare the children want to live with their mom? Timothy actually started to believe that the children were conspiring against him, conspiring against him to bring him down. Now, this to me sounds absolutely absurd. The ages of the children are one, two, six, seven, and eight. How are children of that age conspiring together to bring down one of their parents? Earlier on, I did say that Timothy was suffering from paranoia. So I don't know if that has something to do with this because it's absolutely absurd to think that these children are conspiring against anyone. So Timothy found his son, Natan, playing with the electrical socket. And Timothy believed that his son was doing this intentionally to harm 
his dad. I don't know how he came to that conclusion. I don't know how a child playing with an electrical socket, which is obviously dangerous, they shouldn't be doing that, but I don't know how a child doing that means that they're going to harm a parent. Like that just doesn't make sense, does it? And in response to this, Timothy enforced an absolute awful and brutal punishment. He told Natan to get on the ground and do some push-ups. Then when he had finished the push-ups, he had to do squats. And there were other exercises that he was forced to do as well. And then once he had finished it all, he was made to do the cycle over and over and over and over again. He is six years old and he is being forced into doing exercise that is like a military boot camp. He was completely exhausted, dehydrated, fatigued. And whenever Natan would show any signs of slowing down, Timothy would whip him, forcing him to continue. And this went on for hours. He was forced to exercise for hours and Natan was pleading with his dad to let him stop. But Timothy would not give in. He just kept beating Natan every time he pleaded to stop. And it's just truly heartbreaking. How can anyone do that to a child? I just cannot wrap my head around this monster. I just can't. He's just absolutely disgusting. Why? I just don't understand the reason behind this either. Like why? So the exercise continued and it continued until Natan actually collapsed. And Timothy just then picked up Natan and carried him into his room and put him on his bed. And he just left him there. And when Timothy went to check on Natan a few hours later, very sadly, Natan had passed away. And he passed away from severe dehydration and exhaustion. And I just can't even find the words. I can't. He did not deserve that. It's incredibly heartbreaking. Can you imagine how painful that would have been? That is truly one of the worst acts of child cruelty I think I've ever come across. And it gets worse from here. It's like, how? How does it get worse? So when Timothy finds Natar in his bedroom, he starts to panic. He knows that he's in serious trouble and he's likely to be prosecuted for this. So he starts evaluating his options. He first makes a Google search and ends up watching a video on prison rape. It's thought that he did this to get an idea of what prison life might be like for him. He also started to think about his other four children. He started to think about what's going to happen to them. If he gets sent to prison, who's going to get them? Well, the obvious answer is Amber. And Timothy could not bear the thought of Amber having custody of their children. He just couldn't even bear it. It made him so angry. He wanted to do everything in his power to stop Amber getting the kids. And this is when Timothy came to the awful conclusion that the only way to do this was to murder the other four children. So throughout the evening, Timothy went around his four children and strangled them to death. The two older children, Mera and Elias, aged eight and seven, he strangled with his own hands. But then when it came to the younger two children, Gabriel and Elaine, aged two and one, he strangled them with a belt because his hands were too big for their small necks. And once again, I just have no words. Why did he come to that conclusion? Why? Why would he murder 
his other four children. I can't even imagine what those final moments would be for those four children. The way he did it as well, he didn't just go round one by one, like straight after another. He actually spread out the murders throughout the night and some of the children were actually aware of what was going on. And once Timothy had carried out these absolutely horrific murders, he only had one thing on his mind and that was self-preservation. He showed absolutely no remorse for his crimes. The only thing that he was thinking of was covering up the murders so he could get away with it. First of all, he sent a message to his babysitter saying that him and the kids were gonna be out of state for the next few days, so he didn't need her services. He then started to Google campgrounds and reservations. Timothy then wraps the bodies of all five children in plastic bags, loads them into his car and drives out of state towards Alabama. He then started to make even more Google searches and these Google searches I can't believe it. You honestly can't. He started to Google countries that have no extradition laws. Where do you run? He also searched for how to dispose of a body. It's very clear where his mind is. He wanted to run. At one point as well, he actually did consider committing suicide, but he decided that he wasn't going to do this because if he committed suicide, he wouldn't enter heaven. I think it's safe to say that you are not getting into heaven after what you've done. Everything is just all about him. So Timothy is driving around aimlessly at this point with all five children in the back of the car. He is driving around for days trying to figure out what to do. Eventually he does come to a plan and he writes it down. When you remember that he's writing this about his children, that adds another level of sick. So on the plan, he writes, day one, burn up bodies. Day two, sand down bones. Day three, dissolve and discard. How can you write those words about your own children? He was even captured on camera at a Walmart buying sores, multiple sores, dust masks, goggles, acid, and a five gallon plastic Bucket. Timothy actually did begin the process of dismembering his children. He started with Natan and after trying and realizing that he just couldn't do it, he abandoned his plan to dismember his children. In the end, he ended up abandoning all five children in plastic bags in a woodland area. Timothy thought that he would be able to get away with these heinous crimes. Thankfully, he was wrong and law enforcement were soon about to catch up with him. So we now get to the 6th of September, 2014. Timothy had now been on the run for eight days. Now it's not exactly known the exact day that Timothy disposed of his children's bodies, but we do know for most of those eight days, he was driving with the bodies in the back of his car. Multiple people had reported Timothy and the children missing, including the babysitter, family members, and Amber. So the authorities were looking for him. And eventually, Timothy was pulled over by just some police officers because they suspected that he was driving under the influence, which he was. He was completely intoxicated. And when these police officers ran his details through the system, they find that he is wanted in South Carolina over a child welfare issue. The police officers search the car. There's obviously no children in the car, but the officers have reported that they smelt the stench of death. They also found blood in the car 
and maggots. There was also bleach and children's clothes in the back of the car. Timothy was then immediately arrested. Once taken to the police station, Timothy confessed pretty quickly, which I was surprised at. I thought he was going to really drag it out, but he did try and worm his way out of it, but we'll get to that. Timothy described how he found Natan dead in his bedroom. He also said that he then made the decision to kill all of his children. He did throw out some things, maybe plant a few seeds in that interview. He started saying, oh, I heard voices. Voices were telling me to kill my kids. My kids were conspiring against me. That's why I killed them. He also wanted to make it very clear that these murders were not premeditated. Maybe you could say Natan wasn't premeditated, but the other four children, he planned to kill them. Premeditation doesn't mean that you have to be planning the murders for weeks. Premeditation can mean that you planned it five minutes before. If you plan to do it, it's premeditated. Following the confession, Timothy took the officers straight to where he abandoned his children. And they found the children in plastic bags decomposing just on the side of the road, which again shows absolutely zero remorse. The fact that he just abandoned his children on the side of the road. Five years later, in April of 2019, Timothy would finally stand trial for his crimes. I am not quite sure why it took so long to go to trial, but Timothy did plead not guilty by reason of insanity. So I assume that is why. Timothy was saying that he had undiagnosed schizophrenia. He said that he was unable to tell right from wrong at the time of the murders. And he was definitely planting the seeds in his confession for an insanity plea. However, at trial, a psychiatrist came to the conclusion that he both legally and morally knew what he was doing was wrong. He didn't have schizophrenia and he was actually faking symptoms of schizophrenia. I imagine he was hoping that he would get away with this plea because if you remember, his mom has schizophrenia. The prosecution argued that Timothy took very deliberate steps to cover up what he did. I mean, just look at all of his Google searches and the actions that he took after the murder show that he did know what was right from wrong. And in the end, the jury agreed. After six hours of deliberation, the jury found Timothy guilty of all five murders. And on the 13th of June, 2019, Timothy Jones Jr. was sentenced to death. Following the trial, the failures of the DSS were also investigated. A report was then released that stated that South Carolina's DSS employees were unqualified, their caseloads were excessive, and the overall system was inadequate. Amber also ended up suing the DSS for their repeated failures in safeguarding her children. I agree, there were so many failures, it's hard to not point out the failures in this case. There were so many. Ultimately, the responsibility, of course, does lie with Timothy. He was an extremely messed up individual that was born out of abuse and he then became an abuser himself. He had so many opportunities to turn his life around. He was so privileged. He had the tools to break the cycle of abuse. He went to college. He got a degree, which is a luxury. It shouldn't be a luxury, but it is. He then got a job that paid very 
well. He had a wife and children. He could have had it all, but he chose not to. And I just want to end here by paying tribute to those innocent children. They tragically lost their lives at the hands of someone that they should have been able to trust. Mara Jones had long, beautiful, chestnut brown hair, which she often referred to as her Rapunzel hair. Her family said that she had a big, bright, beautiful smile that could just light up any room she entered. She was only eight years old. Elias Jones had beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes. He enjoyed being outdoors and enjoyed collecting all kinds of critters. His family said that he was the charmer of the family. He was only seven years old. Natan had dark brown hair and bright blue eyes. He wouldn't go anywhere without his stuffed animal which he loved to snuggle. He also loved Woody from Toy Story and wanted to be a sheriff just like Woody when he grew up. He was only six years old. Old. Gabriel Jones had golden blonde hair and big crystal blue eyes. He had a continuous and very contagious smile. His family said that Gabriel truly lived up to his name and he was one of a kind with an angelic and very gentle personality. He was only two years old. Elaine Jones had chestnut brown hair and amazing hazel coloured eyes. She always had to have her juice and blankie. She loved attention and was a sweet baby girl who always knew what she wanted. Her family said that she was truly a rainbow after a storm. She was only one years old. It's just absolutely heartbreaking, isn't it? Oh God, children once always hit me hard. I just wish that someone had protected those children. I just really wish that that case hadn't happened. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Timothy Jones Jr. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you love the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Room Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.